0: So uh, we continue our series in the book of, book of Acts. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Chapter 4 really follows closely, not just numerically, but closely uh, thematically on chapter 3. It's the work of the Holy Spirit as people are questioning uh, the results of and the reason for this man that was healed from 40 years of being lame. In the first part of chapter 3. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back uh, two weeks and, and, and listen to that, that particular sermon. Uh, in this place, there are some that are asking questions about why, why that happened. And the, the, um, the title of the sermon kind of says it all. There's counterfeit cornerstones. And the counterfeit cornerstones of the Sanhedrin are asking questions. Why, why did this happen? By what name, what power did, did you heal this man? Well, if, if you're in the building trade, you might know what a cornerstone is. But, but few of us are in the building trade. If you lived back during this time, you would have known what a cornerstone was anyway, but, but today we just we really don't. So let me tell you what a cornerstone is before we read the passage, you'll have a point of reference. Uh, a cornerstone is that first block, that first building stone that is laid when the building is being built. It's the first stone of the foundation, and it gives shape to everything else in the building. Uh, so, for example, when the first stone was laid at the U.S. Capitol, George Washington himself laid that. And, and you can find paintings of that. You can look it up on Google when you get home. You've got this big uh, wooden tripod and this large stone, and you see George Washington there twisting it this way and that way and laying it out. The stone had to be perfect. It had to be a true stone. And as every angle had to be 90 degrees. If the angle is 91 degrees at the corner or 92 degrees, then your, your, your wall goes off at a 91 or 92 degree angle it's not a a wall that's squared up if your wall if your corner is 80 degrees instead of 90 degrees and it goes off at an inside angle and it's not just the sides of the stone that are important it's the top and the bottom of the stone if the top or the bottom of the stone are not 90 degrees to the side then your wall is going to tip outward or tip inward and he wants to be inside a wall that's tipping inward right so your cornerstone was the was the most important stone in the whole building it's what all the rest of the 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 building was based on in this passage we have counterfeit cornerstones and so the question has to be asked what cornerstone are you building your life upon is it a counterfeit cornerstone or is it a true perfect cornerstone John Calvin writes of idols. We just read it a bit ago. He said that the heart is an idol factory. So I would ask, what idols is your heart creating? Tim Keller calls them not idols but counterfeit gods. Same thing. What counterfeit gods are you basing your life upon? In this passage, as we read it, I want you to be thinking, what counterfeit cornerstones am I basing my life upon? We'll be reading in chapter 4, verses 1 to 22. This is the word of the Lord. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's just the men, okay? So um, women and children would have been in addition to that. So you're looking at 10, 15,000 people or more that came to the Lord on that day. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Lord, as we open up your word on this morning, that you would open up our hearts and you would transform, them, transform us, Father, by the preaching of the word through your Holy Spirit. Father, if I preach anything that is not of you this morning, I pray that you would close the ears of the hearer, that everything I say would only be of you, for your glory and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter and John found themselves in a, um, in a difficult place but a place to which they were committed. They were talking of cornerstones, and yet they knew that in the city in which they lived, there were at least two uh, acceptable cornerstones, two. They were counterfeit cornerstones, but they were cornerstones that were acceptable to the people. One of those was the cornerstone that was put forth by the Sanhedrin, uh, the Sadducees, which you see here, the Pharisees, the rulers, the, um, the scribes, the elders, the they all came together, and they would have formed what was known as the Sanhedrin, a, um, a political party, a group, a court, if you will. And it is that party that would have been sitting in court over Peter and John. There would have been 70 members of the Sanhedrin, and then one, one high priest that would have been ruling them all, so you had 71 in total. The Sadducees were the chief complainers of, of this time, were the most powerful political party amongst the Jews anyway. They had the wealth. They were a small party. They weren't a large political party, but they were, they were small. But they were the most powerful, and they were the wealthiest. Isn't it interesting how that kind of goes together? Sounds, uh, sounds like some of our own political parties, doesn't it? So, um, so they, but what they've got is they have power. And when Peter and John come forth, and they're healing this man who has been lame for over 40 years, the Sadducees are suddenly feeling threatened the acceptable cornerstone for the Sadducees the Pharisees the Sanhedrin was that of a uh, an ultra religious unbiblical morality I say unbiblical morality because it was a morality that was based on the law of man the law that the Sanhedrin put forth was not the law of God for they had taken the law of God and they had added to it times without number And what they proclaimed to the people of Jerusalem was that as long as you obey this law, then God will be placated. God will be appeased. They never said God will be happy because this God that they uh, appealed to wasn't a happy God, would never be happy. He was a God with a big stick and used it to control them as they used it to control others. It was an ultra-religious, unbiblical morality. But with that, they controlled people. They had the power. That was one of the counterfeit cornerstones. The other counterfeit cornerstone was a Roman counterfeit cornerstone. We don't see Rome specifically mentioned in this passage, but the Sanhedrin did nothing without the permission of the Romans. They were in lockstep with each other, they were in sync. They worked together to maintain the control of the people. Now, secretly, the Sanhedrin wanted the Romans gone. And the Romans would have preferred to have the Sanhedrin gone. No doubt about that. But they knew they could not do without each other, and so they locked hands with each other, and they dealt with the people. They controlled the people. Whereas the Sanhedrin had a counterfeit cornerstone of ultra-religious biblical immorality, or biblical mora- unbiblical morality, unbiblical morality that's what it was the um the the romans had a counterfeit cornerstone that worshiped a different god the face of that god was caesar of course their gods had other faces the the mythological gods of rome but it was a god of intense pleasure evil pleasure if you will nothing wrong with pleasure god is god gives us pleasure but the romans had an evil pleasure that they laid up as god You don't have to look far to see that. You go back, for example, to Matthew chapter 14, and you see Herod. Herod has taken the wife of his brother, Philip. Philip was married to Herodias, and Herod took Herodias as his own wife, which was a big problem because she was married to Philip and because Herod was married to somebody else. So Herod gets rid of his wife. John the Baptist comes forward to Herod and says, You can't do this. What you're doing is illegal. It's wrong. Don't do this, Herod. Herod respected John, threw him in prison for it, but he didn't have him killed. He respected John as one that told the truth. The day came that Herod is um, Herod's throwing a party, a feast, uh, a drunken feast. And his harem is dancing before him. And in the midst of this harem is Herodias' daughter, his new wife's daughter from Philip. Her name was Salome. She was about 12 to 14 years old. And she's also dancing alongside the harem before Herod and the other assembled guests. Herod was very pleased with her dancing. It was a perverse pleasure. And he calls her to him and he says, tell me what, what you will. Tell me what you want. I will give you any gift up to half my kingdom. And she goes back and she whispers with her mom, what do we ask for? What do we ask for? And Herodias tells her what to ask for. And she goes back and she says, give me the head of John the Baptist. Herod was in turmoil. He was in turmoil. Much the way our counterfeit cornerstones often send us into turmoil. What would Herod do? But he had made a promise and he kept it. And minutes later, the head of John the Baptist was delivered on a platter. The counterfeit cornerstone of religious, of of evil pleasure was so prominent that no one blinked an eye. It is into this, this evilness, this unbiblical, ultra-religious morality, this evil pleasure over here. It is into this scene that Peter and John come forward and proclaim a third cornerstone, one that is true, one that is the chief cornerstone, proclaiming none other than Jesus Christ. All other cornerstones crumble. The cornerstone of the Sanhedrin will crumble. The cornerstone of the Romans will crumble. Both of those have crumbled. The one that never crumbles is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the one that is spoken of back in Psalm uh, 118, verse 22. We, we read there that the, the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that will not crumble. These parties were angry at Peter and John. Why? Because the, the cornerstone that Peter and John proclaimed was a cornerstone that would not share his power with evil. The evil, either the evil pleasure of the Romans or the ultra-religious, unbiblical morality of the Sanhedrin. God does not share his power with either one of those counterfeit cornerstones. No more so does he share his power with any of our counterfeit cornerstones. I have them and so do you. And our God will not share his power with any of those these parties were angry. The passage says that they were greatly annoyed. Well, I, I, think, I think a better way for us to understand that today would be to say they were incredibly angry. Um, I'm greatly annoyed when someone uh, comes up behind me at a traffic light and I've sat too long at the green light and they begin to honk the horn. That's annoyance, okay? If they're throwing these guys in prison with a desire to kill them, that's not annoyance, that's anger. The thing is we know what our counterfeit cornerstones are by what makes us what makes us angry in an unreasonable way. There's a righteous anger, a reasonable anger. There's an unreasonable unrighteous anger. So you, you, what what is your counterfeit cornerstone? You know because it's that thing that makes you unreasonably angry when you lose it. For the Sanhedrin and the Romans as they lose their counterfeit cornerstones, they become angry. They had become so angry at Jesus that they killed him. But he refused to stay dead. Later they would kill Peter. They would exile John to the island of Patmos and boil him in oil. They would desire that all of these shut up and quit proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they refused to do that. The Sanhedrin and the Romans both became angry. What counterfeit cornerstone is your life based upon? Is it power? Is it the power that you feel as a, as a dad or a mom? I'm going to speak to you dads and moms for a moment. Your kids might, might bring this back up to you about 7.30 or 8 o'clock tonight. I'm sorry. You can call me if you will. Um, it, when your kids don't do what you ask them to do, and you've asked them the third or fourth time, and you feel that that twinge of unreasonable anger rise up within you, and you might even ask yourself, why am I so angry about that? Well, it's because it's, it's a power thing. It's a power thing. Yeah, it's right for a parent to expect a child to obey. The scripture gives us that, right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. It's right for that to happen. But it's not right for us to become unreasonably angry about it. And when that happens, then what we need to understand is that our reputation or our or their respect for us or our power our authority has likely become a counterfeit cornerstone it's become an idol and it's the same way in the workplace or even in ministry if we don't get what we want in the office so we don't get what we want in ministry and we become angry when we don't get our way let's become a counterfeit cornerstone As maybe it's not power maybe your counterfeit cornerstone is comfort nothing wrong with comfort is there That's why we have heating and air conditioning and hope that it works. That's why we have, you know, cushions on the pews. We like comfort. There's nothing wrong with comfort. But if we lose our comfort and become angry, then our comfort has become a counterfeit cornerstone, an idol. Or safety, when we prefer safety so much that we don't love people. Or pleasure, when we build our lives around seeking pleasure. Or fame, we have to have fame, and if we don't have it, then our lives will somehow be, somehow be meaningless. Maybe it's our reputation, maybe it's perfection, and if we don't have our reputation, or we don't have perfection, and we then become angry about it, or we feel like our life is meaningless if we don't have those things. My friends, at that point, those things have become counterfeit cornerstones. There's a third type of cornerstone third type of cornerstone that never crumbles. All those others, though they promise you the world, all of those others will crumble. Jesus Christ never crumbles. This cornerstone, this chief cornerstone is eternal. All of those others were created. They were made. Maybe they were made and manufactured in your own heart, but they were made. Jesus Christ was not made by anyone. He is eternal. Eternity past, eternity future. He is the one that is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Those are three theological words that you will use nowhere else in all of your life. But for some reason, as theologians, we feel like we need to use those three words. And, um, because they do say a lot, but also makes us sound smart. And what do they mean, though? Omniscient means that he knows everything. He knows everything, uh, not just has all knowledge, but he has all wisdom. He is omniscient. He has uh, None of your other counterfeit cornerstones are omniscient. They're not. He is omnipotent. That means he is almighty, all-powerful. There's nothing more powerful than God. In fact, if all the other powers in the whole universe were to come together as one power, they still would not be mightier than our God. They wouldn't hold a candle to him. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is omnipresent. That is, he is present in all ways, in all places of our life. You can't. There's no place you can go. We can get away from God. He is already there. There you go to the bottom of the sea, to the heights. Wherever you go, God is there. He is omnipresent. He is holy. He is perfect. He is the God that is merciful and the God that is at the same time just. This is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. A friend of mine, I was planting a church several years ago and he left the church after a few months um, and he said he was leaving because his God was a God of mercy. Because God wasn't a God of justice. Uh, So he was going to go someplace to another church where, where they worshiped a God that was a God of mercy. I had to remind him that mercy doesn't exist without justice. My friends, it doesn't. You want a God of mercy that is not a God of justice? What you want is an impotent God. You want a God that is not holy. A God that is not righteous. For any God that is holy and that is righteous has to be a God of justice. Otherwise, he is a crumbling cornerstone that shifts with the changing shadows. He is a boat tossed to and fro by the waves. He is not holy and he's not perfect and he's not righteous. He must be all of those things and he must be a just God and then he must be a merciful God. Mercy doesn't exist without his justice. And yet, this holy God, this chief cornerstone, is at once merciful and just. He is unbreakable. He's unbreakable, and yet he heals the broken. Back in Luke chapter 4, we read this about Jesus. And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Our God is unbreakable, but he is a God that heals the broken, Not just the broken in body, but the broken in spirit. He is almighty, and yet he is gentle. He is the king of the whole universe. And yet scripture tells us he is lowly in heart. That is our God. This God comes from the Father, full of grace and truth, John chapter 1. And this grace and truth that Jesus comes with is... Is, I think, the greatest thing that so bothered both the Romans and the Sanhedrin with their counterfeit cornerstones. For the grace was an affront to the Sanhedrins. For they, if, if, if their relationship is by grace, then they can no longer control the people. And the truth was a huge affront to the Romans. For if this guy was true, then their unholy, evil pleasures were would crumble and would never stand before this God grace and truth comes from Jesus this is a chief cornerstone that brings with him the healing of a crippled man and these huge acts of kindness and restoration and making us whole but this beautiful cornerstone is also one that causes people to stumble you say well how can that be how can it be that this one causes people to stumble? Well, we can read about it in Romans chapter 9. I encourage you to go there later. Romans nine thirty three is where you'll find that. But also 1 Peter chapter 2, which is where we're going to go today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing of this living stone that causes men to stumble. In verse 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Than a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. My friends, it becomes a stumbling stone when you seek to reach God through your counterfeit cornerstones. Your counterfeit cornerstones crumble in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way, He is the truth, He is the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. And if we seek to come to the Father in any other way, we will stumble and it's not just for that first time when we come to him for eternal life on that first very first time we come to meet him it's not just then it's throughout our lives we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ ourselves every single day we read in psalm 139 search me o god and know me show me if there are any unrighteous ways in me and we come to the father we come to the father again and again and again and again and he reminds us that his son jesus is the chief cornerstone and we come to him through Jesus, where we have redemption through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is a cornerstone that cannot be broken. He cannot be thwarted. Though he was crucified, he rose again from the dead. He is still the cornerstone. When the Sanhedrin are asking Peter and John, by what name do you, do you, did you heal this man? Did you do this thing? They're saying by what power, by what authority, because a name had authority. Was it the name of Caesar? Was it, was it whatever, what name was it? And so they say it was the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed, by the way, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead it is by that name. Peter and John, knowing that Jesus had been killed, knowing that they were being threatened, knowing that they had been in prison the night before, knowing they could be thrown back into prison that night, still they stood up, regardless of the consequences, and they said, it is by the name of Jesus Christ that we preach this. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus by his name and by his power. I think of Latimer and Ridley at Oxford. They had been told to recant their faith, in Jesus Christ, and they refused to do so. And so they're tied to the stake. And as the flames licked around their ankles and began to climb up past their knees, Latimer cried out, Play the man, play the man, Master Ridley. For we shall this day light a fire in London that shall, uh, uh, that shall never be put out. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be silenced, not by Romans. Not by Sanhedrin, not by a rogue church, not then and not now. The name of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed, but will the name of Jesus Christ be proclaimed in your life and by your life, or will you give in to a counterfeit cornerstone? For I assure you that your heart, just like my heart, will always be creating these counterfeit cornerstones, and they will cry out, I'm better, run to me. I will give you satisfaction, and those counterfeit cornerstones will promise, but they will never deliver. I assure you, the world will constantly be running to you and crying out to you, run to me, a counterfeit cornerstone, and I will give you satisfaction. I will give you pleasure. I will give you power. I will give you some comfort I will give you wealth. They will promise everything, but those promises will crumble. On what will you base your life? What counterfeit cornerstone holds you captive? We're all the same. We all have these little idols and these counterfeit cornerstones that scream at us. My friends, the Father calls out to you and he says, come to me. Jesus cries out to you and he says, come to me. The Holy Spirit rises up within you and says, run to Jesus. The chief cornerstone, the true cornerstone. In verse 18 of this passage, the Sanhedrin told Peter and John, shut up. They called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and they said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather than to God, you must judge. In other words, you guys go figure that out between you and God. They went on, they said, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the thing, because of the people. All were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. You decide in your own heart what your cornerstone's going to be. Jesus Christ or a counterfeit? My friends, the counterfeits crumble. Jesus Christ stands true. And he calls out to you, come to me. All you that are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, to the chief cornerstone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chief cornerstone. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our Redeemer. Lord, we pray that you would so transform our hearts that we would run to you. And like the 5,000 men plus the women and children that laid down those Counterfeit cornerstones of that day, Father, we lay down our counterfeit cornerstones. Lord, I pray as the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139 Search us and try us, O Lord. Show us that there is any unrighteous way in us. Show us where those counterfeit cornerstones are. Father, reveal those to us and help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to lay those at the foot of the cross and to be done with them. Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at your right hand. Father, so fill us with the Holy Spirit that we cannot help but speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter who tells us to shut up. O Lord, be glorified in our lives and help us by your grace to have lives that are built on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer our Lord and our King. In His name we pray. Amen.